Hi everyone and welcome to Hashtag Never Alone Season 3 Episode 7. I am your lived experience host Joe Ambridge. And I'm psychotherapist and relationship counsellor Mark Fielding and Joe's co-host. Um, and today we are going to be talking a little bit about first uh, road to recovery, first steps. So we just talked about the early stages of your journey of recovery from mental health, stuff like diagnosis and stuff like that. Um, and we are actually joined by a guest today. Um, is it Rose Zafina? Correct, yes. Awesome, yeah. Yes, so we are actually joined by Rose. She's going to talk a little bit about what she does um, in order to help people with mental health kind of start their journey and all the work that she does with the company that she works for. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself just to start with, please? So, Joe and Mark, I, I work as the Director of Clinical Services for LifeWorks. We're an employee assistance program provider, which means means that we support organisations to support their employees in terms of their mental health. So uh, lots of organisations use employee assistance programs as a provision of um, something that the employees can use if they're struggling with work-related or personal issues. And the idea is, is that they access these services and helps them to get back on track with the support that they get from an independent um, confidential service where they can talk about the sorts of things that might be bothering them and hopefully help them to be productive in the workplace but also healthy and safe in their lives generally. So um, LifeWorks is a bit unique in its provision of employee assistance programs because it doesn't just provide services from a mental health perspective to employers and their organisations but from a physical health perspective as well. But my role is to support the mental health stream of our organisation. So I manage a group of clinicians, they, they're social workers, psychologists, um, clinical counsellors who provide short term brief intervention services to employees and employees can access services if they feel uh, for a work related issue or for a personal issue and they, they need to know and are reassured that it's a confidential service because there's always that fear the organization's paying for it right so maybe they get our information but what we're really careful about is the fact that the employees know that they are our client and, and therefore the information that they provide to us stays confidential and personal to us and as, as an independent provider of services. So that, that requires a lot of trust between our organisations who, who contract our services and ourselves and the employees who access. But it's often um, employee, people who access employee assistance programs, often it will be their first time actually accessing a service for counselling. And, and they can, as I said before, there's usually about a 40, 60 mix of people who access either for um, work-related issues or for um, personal and family and individual issues. And that's fine. Organisations are happy with that because we're not robots. So employees, if they've got issues at home, it can impact in the workplace and vice versa. If they've got issues in the workplace, it can, work, it can impact them at home. So that, that kind of gives you a broad brush of the services that I manage. And my role is to make sure that those services are helpful, but also meet best practice standards in terms of what we deliver. And that's my role. Yeah. So I'm a psychologist by training and I completed a, a grad dip in education. And when I graduated, I had the choice of going teaching in the weight belt here in Western Australia or um, joining as a school guidance officer in one of the schools or going into TAFE counselling services. And I chose to go into TAFE counselling service, although I always think of it as being my sliding door moment 
you know, and wonder if they had made one of the other choices, um, where you know how my life might have been different. But what I found is, you know, what I found is that my my work has always been extremely fulfilling. It's it's extremely interesting, and it has a lot of meaning. And and I'm hoping that what I deliver to to our clients is meaningful to them as well. Yeah, so. it's, it, it's an important service. I mean, to, to I mean, we have it. You know, I mean, EAPs. We have a, you know, EAPs are quite um, common. You know, in in the UK. What what would be the, the the pathway, Rose? I mean, for what does it look like for someone in, in an organisation? They're maybe struggling with I don't know some issues over work, over home, and then they contact LifeWorks. Well, what 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 happens then? What 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 is the kind of pathway they go on? Okay, so as I mentioned before, it's often the first time uh, someone will have access mental health services, um, and so you know that the organisation at LifeWorks, um, we 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 are very careful to ensure that the process is seamless for them to be able to access because you know they're calling a number, they they don't know what they're going to get at the other end of that number, they don't know if it's if we're going to be able to help them, they're worried about you know confidentiality. So we've got to be really quite um, reassuring, but also sensitive and non-judgmental, and help them to overcome that nervousness that they might initially have. And they often wonder whether their issues their issue is too small to bring, you know, to, to a mental health service. Yeah. You know, they, they think that often that you have to be severely mentally ill to use services. Um, but we, we most of the people who access because they're working have got productive and functional, reasonably functional lives. And and it might be just something that's happening in the workplace that has you know upset them or is challenging them mm. um, it might be the relationship with an employer with their manager or with uh, a peer or it could be about workload um, with the COVID situation there's you know um, a lot of workload issues coming through uh, or it could be a, a personal issue which is you know their relationship at home um, their personal um, struggles perhaps with depression and anxiety um, or something that's not quite going according to plan mm. so the first point of call um, often will be to an employee assistance program. And then our role is to make sure that they feel comfortable in accessing the service, that there won't be any judgment, that it will be confidential, and that we can help them within what we call a brief therapy model of counselling, which is solution focused, um, because we don't provide ongoing um, support, counselling support. Um, and but the majority of people who access the employee assistance program will attend for three or four sessions and then there are those who will attend for five or six or seven sessions mm. so there's a whole range of reasons for white people access mm. and also for the amount of counseling support that they're going to get from coming to our services mm. that's really interesting so, i mean i, I could, could i just ask about um yeah, I mean, for, for our listeners, I mean, obviously, you know, I understand solution focused model, but for, for our listeners, could you maybe just explain what, what, what that means? You know, what, what is a solution focused model? And, you know, and then maybe talk about the modalities perhaps that, that are involved in it. Yeah. So, so it's, it's a model that, um, that focuses on, you know, what is the challenge and then what are the, um, the strategies that you might have used? in the past um, because a lot of people when they when they're struggling from day to day can I just explain for a moment the mental health continuum mm, um, yeah. in that and that you know generally we're in a healthy state of function of function and being able to manage the things that are occurring around us we have our ups and downs from day to day and that then that we then move back into feeling like we're healthy again in terms of our mental health occasionally something will challenge us and 
it will really become, and then the downs become like the default position where it feels like we're walking through mud to get yeah. through the day, either in terms of our mental health or our physical health. And then if we don't attend to it at that point, we can find ourselves moving into what we call mental illness. Yeah. And that requires the activation then of a psychiatrist or in hospital or you know, GP visit, etc. So we try to work with people while the issue is sitting between those ups and downs and working with strategies that they can use to kind of make level that off a little bit if it's if they're struggling with anxiety um, and they're worrying a lot about a situation in the workplace then we talk to them about what strategies they've used in the past but also introduce them to new strategies where we have a toolbox I guess in that solution yeah. focus model or modality where we're very much around okay how, how do you how do you overcome this how do you work towards getting to the, the, the other end of this you know what what will you recognize when you're actually feeling better you know what, what um, you know what are the things that you would like that to look like and then you know what are the strategies whether it's a cognitive behavioral strategy whether it might be a little bit of schema um, therapy you know there, there are a range of different therapies that we might choose yeah. to support that individual in the shorter term to come through with the solution right mm. okay and then if it's someone who who's um, expressing oh sorry is is um, uh, experiencing longer term um, um, longer term mental health issues in mm. terms of their you know that they, they maybe have a predisposition towards depression or anxiety or an addiction they mostly have the strategies that allow them to have those mental health issues but still remain functional mm. and then something happens that upsets that and it sort of disturbs the the, the equilibrium in their lives where they can still have this the strategies that they have used and used very successfully to sort of be able to be functional while they're still um, managing their mental health then then we kind of we, we talk to them about what do you, what do you do to revisit the sort of strategies that you've used in the past mm -hmm. who is it who is someone that you would normally go to as a resource what are other resources that are available in your life what are the conversations that you need to have with your employer your manager who you trust in a hopefully a psychologically safe workplace where you can actually say that and not feel like you're going to be judged or it's going to impact on your career yeah so that solution focus is very much around what can you do that can help you deal with this in the present and in the short term but also we talk then about you know is this something that's an ongoing issue for you and what are the strategies what are the resources that you've normally used in the past or that we can introduce you to so that you can continue getting longer term and, and ongoing support mm. and to get back on track or feel like you've kind of get got back into that space where you you've got the balance working right for you mm. yes. oh, that's yeah. interesting did you want to come in if you get a lot of people that come to you with, with the like hesitation and stuff and they question the diagnosis when they get diagnosed with anything we we trend we trend well, sorry we tend not to get into a lot of diagnosis in in an employee assistance program we tend to deal with the day-to-day -day, what is happening and what are, what are you noticing about how that's affecting your behaviors your thoughts your feelings you know your um your physical your your physical well-being and then and then work with um with okay so what, what how do how do you overcome or what do you need to change about what you're currently doing so that you can you can you get back on track so um we might talk a little bit about depression um we might talk about anxiety we help the person understand what it means um and because you know it's it's really interesting that occasionally we get people who come along to see us or often we get people who come to see us in the employee assistance program who say to us 
I'm, I'm just not functioning and I don't understand why. I think I'm going crazy. And it's kind of like, okay, let's have a look at what is happening here. Let's try and put some understanding to, to what it is, whether it is worry that's now become anxiety, whether it's low uh, uh, you know, feelings of, 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 um, of um, you know, low mood that is perhaps risking to becoming depression um, you know and, and what else is happening then and rather than try and spend a lot of time diagnosing an EAP we tend to like that solution focus model is very much around what are you experiencing what are the strategies that you can use to overcome that, those experiences to get you back on track then we might then um, part of the, the employee assistance program model is to refer people on for longer term support where they would probably get a diagnosis from a clinical psychologist or a psychiatrist and um, that would then help and then the intervention that would be required for that longer term but uh, separate to the employee assistance program. So we're probably in the EAP getting a lot more people who sort of sit in that um, area of day-to-day -day ups and downs that challenge them or a period of time when things are going, um, when things are not as uh, going as smoothly for them as they'd like to, but before they actually get into a mental illness because mental illness then requires another level of intervention, a, a diagnosis, as you've said, and then an intervention that sort of sits outside of that solution-focused EAP type model. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 It's interesting that in the employee assistance program as well, we 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 um, see about five to ten percent of the employee population that accesses services in EAP. Mm -hmm. Employee assistance programs have moved um, a lot over the last five years towards more of a wellness program because there's been this question mark about what about the 90% who don't access the service? Yeah. What's going on for those? Are they not experiencing mental health, or are they? Are, are we working more proactively with those groups around um, their day-to-day -day, um, strategies that they use mm. to keep themselves well? So, employee assistance programs do a lot of work in proactive um, uh, management of people in their mental health, it, particularly if they're in jobs where there is a lot of stress and strain mm. that could potentially be dangerous to them in terms of their psychological well-being. So mon monitoring them rather than waiting until they get into crisis and then having to you know, be reactive and, and get them out of crisis. Um, but we also do a lot of work with organisations in helping them to develop a workplace that is psychologically safe and look at the drivers of mental health in the workplace. Um, and then we do a lot of um, work with, say, in the critical incident area, if there's been, you know, a natural disaster that's affected a group of people or, um, a, you know, an, an injury in the workplace or fatality in the workplace where we're effectively doing psychological first aid, mm -hmm. once again, in order to be proactive to ensure that we capture the well-being of those individuals and help them through that difficult period rather than wait until it gets into crisis and potentially a mental illness or a diagnosable mental illness. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, so that, that's yeah, so sorry to, but yeah, I mean, just to pick up on so much in 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 you know in in what you're saying and what LifeWorks provides, but just to pick up on one up on one part of it, yeah, I mean, the the focus on well-being, I mean that, I, you know, that part, I mean, I like I love it all, but I really really like that, and this is so important, isn't it? You know, I think, you know, having you know, it's almost like you know, I, I think you know, letting employees know the strategies they can use 
you know, to improve their levels of happiness, their levels of well-being. You know, there's so much out there around physical well-being, isn't there? You eat your five a day, yes. take exercise. Of course, exercise crosses over into yep. mental health well-being, of course. But there perhaps is less focus in organisations on strategies that can keep people functioning, you know, psychologically at you know a good baseline. So that is really, really important. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the, yeah, the, the breadth of what you offer. I mean, and also the signposting element. I mean, so so if someone is, you know, is still maybe in crisis or still struggling after six, seven sessions, then LifeWorks will signpost them on to a psychiatrist or, you know, for further help. Absolutely. And and Mark, you've really picked up on a really important thing there in that we I, I've been in the industry for a number of years. I think that we are actually, um, the issues that people are bringing to the Employee Assistance Program is increasing in complexity and intensity. So we are having to, you know, employ specialists in things such as, you know, addiction, for example, or in eating disorders, or in working with self-esteem in children, or um, in, um, you know, the area of anxiety and, and depression or domestic and family violence. So, you know, being able to work across the different issues that people experience situations that they experience and then the, the the result on their mental health as a consequence of that mm. so where we used to be a very generic service um, and and people working you know clinicians working in EAP being across a number of different areas but sort of at a high level mm. we're actually now employing people who have got those specific specialty areas as mm. well because we are seeing that complexity coming through mm. absolutely mm. yeah and then and then mark you raised also the importance of organizations recognizing what they need to do yeah. to be able to be mindful of the of the mental health and safety of their employees and there's another set of drivers so that rather than focusing on the individual getting help they're now doing that but also looking at as an organization what are we doing to ensure that we maintain and support individuals in terms of their mental yeah. health you know what are the workload expectations yeah. how do we support them through COVID what do we do with the fact that we've got you know um uh, um uh, uh, not enough resources to do the work and yet but high demand for work mm -hmm. in, and quickly turn over that as well. So in a, in a time where we, people are sort of recovering from COVID but still getting sick, you know, illness and absenteeism is very high. So organisations are asking for a lot of support in that area as mm -hmm. well. And yeah, and I think COVID has kind of really highlighted the importance of that. It's always been a hot topic, but it's particularly getting hot heated now as organisations are needing to show frameworks for supporting their employees in the workplace rather than just saying, there's the EAP, go off and get yourself some, some help. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so important, you know, I mean, in, in, in the UK, this is a bit of a general statement, but I think it is for the most part true. You know, organisations are just waking up to this, you know, but I mean, looking at it you know looking at you know the psychological you know and well-being of, of employees you know i mean it affects the, looking at it purely from a business sense you know you've got a happy well-functioning workforce then you know the bottom line is going to be better people are going to be motivated to work they're going to be able to cope at work you know and I, I, in, in the uk i mean honestly organizations are only just waking up to to up to this i mean in the uk i don't know whether it's the same in australia i mean it's the tech industry that i think are leading the way in this yes. you know in looking at employee yep. well-being it's so important you know but so like you know i mean even in bigger organizations which i won't name here you know it is fairly lacking and and the idea of all oh, you know you're not functioning well just go to an eap service i mean that is something that happens quite a lot mm -hmm. really you know rather than yes. focusing on you know people's well-being in in the workplace i'm just wanting to come to joe did you did, did you want to come in 
Yeah. Um, what sort of um, strategies and stuff do you suggest towards organisations to help um, staff cope? So um, the the you know the the drivers of um, mental health in organisations are around things such as um, helping employees manage their workload, but there are also things such as um, engagement. So helping um, employees to find to feel like they are part of the organisation in terms of how much control they have over their environment and what they're asked mm. to do, how they're engaged in the decision making in the organisation how they're rewarded by the organisation, how the organisation deals with issues that might occur, you know, any conflict that might happen in a team or issues around diversity or equality, um, you know, how they, how managers manage their employees around their the expectations on those employees, how they develop a psychologically safe workplace so that if, if someone's actually um, struggling, they feel that they can go to their employer, to their manager and express that they might be struggling and not feel like they're going to be, um, you know, judged as weak or, um, or, or that it has uh, an effect on how they're, they're seen and how they're treated in the workplace itself. Mm -hmm. So it's around, it's around, you know, making it psychologically safe, but also looking at what is it that helps us to do our jobs well. Mm -hmm. So if, if, if morale is poor in an organisation, then, you know, organisations need to look at what's going on with the morale, what's creating that that sort of that negativity in terms of the team. If there is, um, you know, organisations think that employees, um, you know, won't engage if they're too stressed, but we know that people, people will work hard and they will engage really well if they feel like they're valued yeah. um, in the organisation, even though it might be particularly difficult or stressful time that they're going through. Um, if they're treated with respect and, and you know, if they're, they're, they're managed appropriately and with fairness, all of these are drivers of wellbeing in organisations. Interesting that um, some of our stats have shown that managers for the first time ever are talking about feeling more compromised in terms of their mental health than they've ever done before because, you know, that they need to manage their teams who are struggling, but they're struggling themselves. They're not robots either. Yeah. And so that, you know, for the first time, they're putting their hand up and saying, yes, I'm struggling, but they're still also thinking, oh, can, can I accept that about myself that I am struggling? So that's one thing that we've noticed mm -hmm. with managers. And number two is, do I dare say anything? Because then how will I be seen by the organisation if I identify myself as actually struggling within the workplace? So that those are some interesting stats that have been mm -hmm. coming through post-COVID and as we move forward from COVID. So managers, oh, we've seen an increase in the use of alcohol and domestic violence in uh, you know, domestic violence related issues in people's personal lives um, and an increase in, in use of alcohol, as I mentioned. And parents are another group that are actually, you know, experiencing huge amounts of stress during the pandemic. And we know why that is. It's because they've had to work and look after their children as, at the same time and, you know, provide their homeschooling and all, of, all that that has entailed. So it's, you know, it's just been really interesting looking at statistics of where the spikes have been in relation to mental health and people's coping during this really difficult time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, uh, is but, there you know, any, sorry, sorry, I was just going to, is there any breakdown? I don't know, you probably haven't got the figures in front of you, but I mean, in terms of gender and in terms of, you know, people that approach the service, I'm just, I'm just wondering, well, I'm just wondering what that looks like, really. Yeah. 
Now, traditionally, Mark, we probably have more females than males mm. um, accessing services. Um, and, you know, that, that's all the stuff around, you know, the, the gender differences and how we're supposed to or we've been mm. told that we're meant to manage, um, you know, our, our, um, our mental health or the mm. challenges in our lives. But what is pleasing to see is that the gap between number of female and male um, uh, uh, you know, people accessing services is starting to close. Mm. So we're starting to see that ma males are actually accessing services and, and looking for support through the employee assistance program. A, a beautiful piece of work that came through when we first started chat. I thought that you know the chat was going to be mostly for younger generation. They're used to using social media. You know they they communicate with each other off their phones, and 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 we had um, you know what we did see instead was middle-aged men were actually using chat. Um, and so we saw an increase in, in that group of um, that population in, you know, that maybe some anonymity and that comes with it, but at the same time, feeling that they can reach out and, and access the service. And we, we had a beautiful situation in, in, um, in, in the organisation where there was a uh, middle-aged um, male going back to a mine site who was flying fly out sitting in the Qantas lounge you know and who who writes um you know who um accesses chat and mm. and he says something like you know I'm going back to the workplace I'm really poorly in my mental health I already know how I'm going to kill myself um when I get to site and I'm just kind of reaching out to see if there's anybody that can help me and and from that you know and that was over chat and from that chat conversation, we were quickly activated um, emergency um, uh, support for him, so he didn't actually get onto the flight. Um, you know, we managed to get him to, to some support immediately, um, getting back to his family. And you know, about a week or two later, got a letter from his his children who said, "Thank you so much, you saved our dad." So you know, and that was through chat, a middle-aged male going back to a mine site at the end of you know his coping strategies thinking this is it for me who reached out and, and we were able to respond and, th and that's the beauty of the employee assistance program it does some really beautiful work in that area i mean what yeah. that, i mean wow i mean that's amazing i mean you know i mean i'm sure yes. that's not an isolated incident yeah and i really get it with chat you know i mean this is again again a bit of a massive generalization but you know but i, I guess with men reaching out you know in terms of mental health you know sometimes for you know all the socially constructed reasons which we won't go into you know men feel a lot of bit a lot of shame but the chat and the anonymity you know takes all of that away yeah. you know i mean chat is something that you know i also use in my practice and goodness me it can be a really powerful space kind of actually ah, absolutely yeah. it can be the conduit to face to face or telephone yeah. but it can actually in its own in itself it can be another way for people to reach out and mm. in employee assistance programs we look to provide the right service to the person who needs it at the right time and yeah. if that's through chat or it's through telephone or it's through face to face that's what we absolutely you know try to do and and work towards being able to do um, as part of that employee assistance program Mm. Yes. Um, when we, yeah. we've turned in kind of mental health first aid, I don't, you, you talked about kind of psychological first aid. I mean, we, we had a mental health first aid trainer on Joe, didn't we, on the show a little yeah. while ago? Yeah, she was really yes. good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is that something you're, you're familiar with, Rose? The whole kind of mental Absolutely. health? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
So we do a lot of trauma work, Mark and Joe, yeah. and then uh, that may be, you know, where an organisation, an incident happens in an organisation and they need support. And the model there is more psychological mm. first aid. So it's yeah. about safety of the individual um, rather than going straight into, you know, uh, an intervention or doing counselling. Um, and the, the idea of that psychological first aid is just to be there for the individual and what their needs are mm. and, and not to try and, um, you know, do any therapy as such because we know the majority of people in those situations come through the other end relatively well but our role is to check those who may not for whatever reason whether they're already got some predisposition that's going to effectively be aggravated by the incident that happens yeah. or whether there's been the compounding of a number of crises in their lives more recently yeah. so there's that now, on the flip side, what we also do, Mark and Joe, is train managers in psychological first aid oh, so that they can use the principles. They don't have to feel like they have to be the psychologist or the social worker or the mm -hmm. clinical counsellor, but they can actually be the manager who uses psychological first aid to, to, to recognise when someone might be struggling and to have the courage to reach out and say, are you OK? And, mm -hmm. and I'm asking you because this is what I'm seeing and this is what I'm hearing, and you're not your usual self. Mm. And I need to do it because that's my responsibility as a manager mm. is to ensure that you are feeling safe in this workplace and that I can do whatever I can to be able to support you mm. as you get support for yourself as well. So that's a you know that's a really beautiful model to use for people who don't want to be the psychologist, who, who is the manager, but can still bring it into their toolkit to be able to support mm. their employees. It's so it's so important. I really love that. And the, the, the whole psychological first aid, mental first aid, you know, mission statement, you know, to, you know, to, I think the mission statement, I mean, I don't, it may be different over here, but the mission statement in a, in a lot of NHS trust here that, you know, the, tra the trained mental health first aiders is to, you know, is to train 75% of the staff in order, you know, that anybody can open up a psychological conversation. I think that is just absolutely wonderful and, you know, and, and more and really, yeah. really well, well needed. Yeah, and the government is legislating that. You know, um, I, I saw a piece coming out of New South Wales um, government where they were wanting um, e even their legal teams to be that are working, you know, with people at risk as part of their role to have psychological first aid in their toolkit so that they can work with the population, not just their employees yeah, internally, but also the population that they're providing services to. And I thought, wow, mm. that that's amazing. That, that you know to even think that you know that the, the broadness of that and everyone having the education around how yeah. do i do that safely yeah yeah but of course really then we need to also put in place the self-care strategies for our individuals you know who are applying yeah. for psychological first aid so how do managers keep themselves psychologically mm. safe how do our you know how do employees have a you know people delivering services what self-care strategies that do they yeah. have to ensure that they keep themselves in a good place yeah. yeah. And, and, and and again, the self-care, you know, so important, you know, mental health scaffolding, you know, whatever that is for, you know, exercise, meditation. I mean, there's a million ways, aren't there, that people can keep themselves mentally, you know, psychologically healthy. So important, you know, and, uh, and I think in industry, I think this is probably changing, you know, but in industry, I think it's been really lacking. I mean, certainly in the UK, you know, and I think this is true in, as much in public industry as it has been in private industry really you know and again you know i mean looking at it purely from a business sense you know i mean it, it if your if your staff are, are healthy you know and they're you know they're well supported then you know staff attention is going to be better you're going to have a better workforce you're going to have a happier you know it just it just makes complete sense but it's been so lacking here really historically yeah yeah 
Yeah. And, and you know, those self-care um, those self-care strategies don't have to be rocket science. They're no. about, you know, taking a check on you know your routines, how are you eating, how are you sleeping, how are you connecting with your family and fam and, and friends and people that are important to you, colleagues, for example. Because we know that when people are struggling, one of the things that they do is to withdraw. And and when yeah. you withdraw, um, you, you effectively you isolate yourself so that you don't have people around you to say, hey, you know, that's not how you usually are. What's going on for you? Yeah. And, and and provide the safety net around you're not well let's get you to someone who can have a chat to you and see what is happening for you so you know that that withdrawal is you know one of those signs that I often look out for when I'm mm. speaking to clients about you know are you making connection with your family friends colleagues yeah. or people that are important to you or are you isolating yourself so that 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 connection as human beings we do need we're social animals we need connection it doesn't mean that we party or have you know a huge number of you know, people around us, it might be just a, a handful of people that we trust that we can go to to say, yeah, yeah. or they, they can actually come to us and say, you're not your usual self, what's going on? I haven't heard from you for a while, what's happening with you? So those self-care yeah. strategies can be, and you mentioned mindfulness, a beautiful yeah. strategy. But mindfulness, we need to encourage people to do that as part of their routine yeah. rather than try and call on it when they're in crisis. Because often yeah. when someone's in crisis, they'll come, oh, I need some mindfulness. And it's kind of like, great, we can do that. Absolutely. Let's drop everything else and let's just focus on being mindful. Mm. But it's at its best when it's actually part of our everyday routine rather than just something that we can call on when we might be suffering um, yeah, or, or challenged. So mindfulness, beautiful. Yeah. And it can be as simple as just really noticing, you know, how we drink our cup of tea or yeah. how we, you know, the suds in the in the in the dishwashing liquid that we're using or, you know, that those those things around five things that we can see, you know, four things yeah. that we can hear, three things that we can taste, etc. It's it, it's those strategies that are so simple but so effective. Absolutely so effective. Yeah. And I mean it's so I'm really resonating with what you're saying, you know, especially about my you know, I'm a big fan <laughs> and I talk about a lot about mindfulness on the show. You know, mindfulness really has changed my life really over the years. And, and but, but you know people think oh you know to be mindful i've got to sit in the cushion i have to meditate for half an hour every day yes. and of course that is great <laughs> you know i mean yes if you can do that do that it's brilliant you know but but legitimately say i mean the present moment focus as a strategy you know you can be doing anything and you can just switch from internal focus maybe your mind's ruminating and you can just focus on doing the washing up you could do it you do it anywhere can't you do it I mean, if you're doing it in nature, all the better, but you can literally do it, do it anywhere. So to build that mindfulness muscle doesn't have to be a really onerous thing. You know, you can just do it in really simple ways. And, and the, you know, the, I think the immense psychological benefits, I mean, they're, they're, they're massive, aren't they? And for people in organisations, you know, I think just taking a moment, just, you know, just, yes. just taking a few breaths, I think it can really help with their stress levels. Yeah, so something we've talked yeah. a lot on the show about really mindfulness. Yeah, I really love that. Sorry, Joe, you probably wanted to um, come in here, but I, right. one of the other things that I really have been enjoying doing is that concept of third space. I don't know if you've had a look at that, that third space concept by Adam Fraser, where mm. you think of, you know, well, that transition between first space, which is the workplace, and third and second space, which is home, and that the third space which is that um where you get some me time and it might be five minutes of you know just um just listening to a podcast or you know the, the trip home from work and one of the things during COVID that I often hear people saying was I don't get any me time I, I 
I shut down the laptop and, and straight away I have to engage with my family and I'm missing that coming backwards and forwards from yeah. work. And that five minutes to or 15 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever it is where you do your exercise or you change out of your work clothes yeah. into your home clothes or you um, you spend five minutes doing a quick meditation or you kick the ball around with the kids or, you know, those, that sort of that concept of third space is, is a beautiful concept and mm. and and um, used for us to be able to pace ourselves and last the distance because you know life life and work and you know personal uh, can be really quite stressful at times and we need to actually find that time for us to just sit for a moment and do some mindfulness yeah. etc so I, I would encourage people to look up that concept of third space it's a it's um it's great it's really good. Yeah, I've never heard of that, but I love it. Yeah, and, and it's so true. You know, I mean, so for people just to have a few minutes to themselves in order to, you know, I mean, I reboot, you know, process what's been going on, calm their nervous system. So yeah. important. And, you know, I guess for yeah. people that have, you know, we're all different like, kind of life circumstances, work to home. And I guess that was, you know, the, the kind of interplay of work and home was completely mixed up, and you know, during, during COVID. And to have that time. Oh. For, you, for yourself, yeah. I think it's incredibly important, isn't it? Yeah, really, really yeah, important. That's what I think. Yeah. yeah, and and to think about now, I'm not at work. I'm actually going to be entering my family and personal life. It's my sanctuary. It's my safe place. It's where you know where my loved ones are. How do I want to be when I'm actually yeah. making contact with them? And Adam talks about you know, do the children run towards you when you get home, or do they run away from you? Do you know, in terms of the the energy that you bring into the, into your home, um, yes. Yeah, so that that sort of time to just sit and or exercise or relax or just be alone with your thoughts, so that you can think about now, how do I want to be when I re-enter this very important part of my life, which is my personal life and my family life. Yeah, and uh, and again, you know, I mean, even you know, even just thinking that you know strong mindfulness component again isn't it you're stepping out you know and you're looking and you're thinking well what do i what do i want to do here you know do i want to take a few breaths or do i just want to charge straight from my working life into my busy busy home life you know again mindfulness you know i mean mindfulness is so important isn't it <laughs> just being able to step to step out a little bit yeah yes yeah did, did, did Joe, did you want to come in? Yeah, sure. I just wanted to, like, lastly, just see what your favourite coping strategy is. I live across the road from King's Park because I live in Western Australia. And so for me to be able to take a wander through the park and get off the main, the main, um, you know, uh, the main roads and down sort of the bush tracks with my, and I've got two dogs and had them on a lead and we just walk through and I put my, I usually put um, my audio book on and, and, or I listen to a podcast and I just, mm. and just kind of had that opportunity of being in nature and, but, and walking. So doing some physical exercise, but, um, also, you know, watching my dogs as they run through the park and on the lead, of course, because you're not to take them off the lead. Um, but as they have fun, you know, getting out and going for a great walk as well. So get exercise for them, get exercise for myself and get some fresh air in a beautiful park, you know. And we're coming up soon. I'm hoping to see some orchids in Kings Park as well. So that's going to be exciting to see if I can see some of those in the bushland around it. So that, that's my favourite coping and downtime. Exercise. Yeah, and, and really, I mean, I have to say, you know, really similar to my coping strategy, you know, and I, I guess the layers of that, I mean, just to really kind of get go into it in a little more detail, you know, so you're out with with your dog, so, you know, that's bringing in well-being, 
you know, being in nature, I mean, goodness me, I mean, there's so much research about it, you know, I mean, it, it, it's so good for us, isn't it? You know, the physical exercise, you know, it, and, and also, I guess, listening to a podcast, listening to an audio book, I guess the love of learning and, you know, it's layering all of the goodness. So, you know, I guess you must feel really nourished after you've done that. Activity. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that, that love of learning is really important. Even when we've got really busy lives, you know, the, mm. one of the, um, one of the um, dimensions or the scales in resilience is that ability to, you know, find something else to learn rather than just your workplace knowledge, mm. you know, learn a language, learn music, learn, uh, read or whatever is really important way of activating the brain mm. and also reinvigorating yourself um, in terms of your resilience. Yeah, very much. Absolutely. Well, thank, thank you for joining us, and um, it was really nice to have you on and chat to you. Um, and thank you to Mark for co-hosting again. Um, and thank you to our listeners. Um, we'll be back next week with another episode. Um, just want to say anyone that's been uh, affected by any of the topics covered in any of our episodes, um, there are helplines available in every country. We do share them on our social media. And um, just stay tuned for another episode. Thank you. Yeah, really nice to meet you, Rose. Thank you so much.